I'm Ellie Kumar and this is My Voice, a series of conversations where we highlight the work of black and Asian people in the arts. We'll be hearing from some of the most exciting voices in literature, art, theatre, poetry, filmmaking and more, and tackling issues like representation and diversity in the industry. Today I'm chatting to novelist Nima Shah, whose debut Kololo Hill was written while Nima juggled a full-time job. We talk about some of the many significant parts of British history left out of school curriculums and the joy of combining food from different cultures. I know that for some writers and authors they will have started writing when they were very young and then carried on through their adult life. I really loved English at school, but actually then pursued a career in marketing. And it was only in 2015, after a a number of years working in marketing, I decided to do a creative writing course online. And I really did that mainly for my my job. So just getting better at, at copywriting and editing and stuff like that. But I'd forgotten how much I love to write and So I started to write again and I had always had this idea that it was very strange that there were no stories about that I knew of about East African Asians and in particular the Ugandan Asian expulsion Um, and because of my my heritage I wanted to explore that and so I started writing sort of short stories around this topic and it eventually evolved into a novel um, and I thought maybe I should actually try and get it published. I think it was just I had never dreamed that I could be a writer. It just wasn't even within the realm of possibility for me. I didn't know any authors and just wasn't something I even thought I was particularly good at. It took my late 30s finding out that actually I really love writing and I want to make a go of it. So, yeah, that's how it happened. And I think that's one of the really interesting things, particularly sort of throughout this series that we've spoken to so many people who've said, quite similar things in a sense of well it was never really like the plan or I'd never really done this before one of the things I found quite interesting when I was reading about you was that you did um, a law degree Um, and one of the other people that we've spoken to is the novelist Sarah Collins who was a lawyer and then decided to write a book and I just thought that was quite an interesting I mean maybe it's something about studying law gives maybe gives you the discipline to write a novel (laughs) I don't know (laughs) Yeah, well, I think, to be honest, I came very close to doing the English literature degree. I really didn't know what I wanted to do as a career when I went to uni and probably should have had a year out. I think I just thought, good, you know, being a good Asian daughter, not that my parents would have cared. I just thought law seemed the right thing to do. I really enjoyed it, actually. And, and what you get very good at in, in, in law, obviously, in a law degree is... Uh, writing arguments or, or putting your your point across in a certain way so I suppose that helped me but beyond that I kind of knew almost within the first week that I didn't want to be a lawyer it's just I think it's a vocation and I actually know Sarah and I, she's really she's very good at what she does um, as a lawyer as well as a writer but I realized that I wanted to do something that combined my creative side and the business analytical side I suppose and that's why marketing made a bit more sense to me Um, But I think it's also something about possibly about being a woman. I don't want to generalise, but as women, we perhaps don't always have that confidence to think that we can do things. And that's why maybe it's taken some of us a bit longer to realise that maybe it's something that we could try and something we should at least have a go at. 
this series isn't specifically sort of about women, but for the most part, a lot of the interviewees have been have been women, yeah. completely coincidentally. Yeah. But there's a sort of part of me that's thinking, actually, maybe in the next kind of few years, we're going to have so many amazing books and plays and music and everything that's been coming out from women who've been feeling like I can't do this and then suddenly actually I can and this is something that's happening yeah, now I, th- I think so and and it's, it's about confidence for, for some women um it will also obviously be you know they've, they've had families they've got to deal with that and unfortunately as, as much as we like to think we're living in an equal world it's not that equal still and so there may have been that um but for, for me personally, I also, I don't, I th- I'm so glad I didn't write in my 20s because I think what I would have written would have been so self-absorbed and not very, very good. <laughs> so living your life and having something to say, I think obviously, hopefully makes us all better writers as well. And I definitely couldn't have written the book that I've written in my 20s because although the East African Asian experience is not necessarily my specific experience, my, it's my heritage and my family's, there are a lot of things weaved into it that, you know, the, the themes and so on that are obviously taken from my own life. So I suppose there's an element of that as well. You sort of touched on it a little bit, but where did your novel come from? Well, I think it was partly, you know, I've grown up as as many people will have, reading all sorts of literature. I read things like Salman Rushdie, Midnight Children, I love that book. And there are obviously books set in the the Indian subcontinent. There are also books like White Teeth and Brick Lane, which I read in my formative years and were obviously an early inspiration. But the, the culture and the history of the East African Asian experience is so specific and different. And it really surprised me, especially the Ugandan Asian expulsion, which is a key part of our history that that hadn't been written about. And, and also, I suppose, you know, all of these, these things were playing out as I started to write my novel. So Brexit, the Windrush scandal, um, Grenfell, you know, a lot of those sort of big themes which actually play out in the novel around belonging and what it is to be a citizen and what is home. And it made me realise that this story is still as topical as ever, unfortunately, in some ways. Um, And also that so many people don't know that history and it is part of British history. A lot of the people who came to Britain from Uganda had British passports and that wouldn't necessarily be known either, even though if they had never visited the country, which was the case for a lot of people. Um, My parents came here from Kenya and Tanzania on British passports. So it was that fire that made me want to write about the British Asian experience. And that's what I hope to write more of in my future novels as well. That's so true, what you say. One of the things that we've been looking at over the past kind of year is this idea of expanding the British education curriculum, both in terms of things like literature and novels that that maybe you read in GCSE, but also in, in terms of history. I'd heard of Idi Amin, but that was the extent of my knowledge of that whole period of history. When you kind of read about it in terms of a novel, I mean, I find that really helps, but it, it made me go away and I and kind of did some research about it. And it's, it's shocking. And part of me was so shocked that even though, you know, I know this and we've, we've talked about this during Black History Month about the slave trade and things like this, 
that it seems like we learn about Henry VIII 10 times during school and yeah. nothing else. Yeah, I think so. To be honest, when I started writing this novel, I knew very little about the expulsion itself because because although I have extended family from there, my closest family are from Kenya and Tanzania. And, and actually during the expulsion, there were still, there were there upheavals even in Can Kenya and Tanzania and they're all East Africa, they're similar cultures. Um, and there was resentment towards Asians, you know, rightly and wrongly because there, there was lots of inequalities. And again, as is, often the case that's that's the heart of a lot of these stories I, I completely understand that with the curriculum there's only so much time to learn about certain things however yes it does surprise me that we don't read and learn more about the empire it's part of all of our history not just those of us who are you know from main backgrounds I, I wanted to make sure that I did a job of both show, showcasing the history behind what happened and how it happened but also making sure there was a personal story there. And, and as you say, you know, I didn't want to make it a dry history, but it's been lovely hearing from other people who've said, I read the novel and I wanted to find out more. And that's really what I hope will happen is that they, they want to then go and explore and expand. I mean, there's some really amazing things that happened that I had no idea about, like English families taking Ugandan Asian families that they didn't know at all into their homes when, when they arrived here. So you know, those things, and it's not all negative as far as the British side of the history goes, it's, it's positive too. And it was really important I showed all the multifacets of that. I think when you, when you look at a, a book or a novel that is about kind of a refugee experience, there is something that you think this is going to be really sad and just no hope or no sort of lightness in, but I know obviously there were some really really awful things that happened within the book but also what really stuck out was just the joy and the yeah particularly between the family members and I don't oh, it's really hard talking about this know, without know. saying yeah. what's going to happen yeah, um, sure. but there yeah. was just so much joy in it as well which I thought was so important in getting the story across yes you're absolutely right obviously there are harrowing things that happened um but I've found in my life you know even at the darkest moments there is usually some sort of glimmer of hope or humor you know that gallows humor and it also helps to show the contrast so by having a little bit of lightness and joy I suppose it does make the darkness sort of stronger but vice versa too and that's life and I, I wanted to try and portray that and yeah it's really important that I didn't write a novel that was just bleak the whole way through I don't think however bad life gets that that's ever really the case there is always something and also because I, I have three point of view characters you know I'm trying to show different experiences and some of them might have had worse times of it than others or felt that they had worse times of it than others but it won't be the case for everyone and, and that was the other thing you know there are 80,000 people that were expelled during the expulsion and not every story is going to be the same um, so I wanted to try and show all the different facets of that as well and I think that really comes across because it's just as well as being a story about a really significant historical event it's a family drama as well and all the jealousies and feelings that you have yeah. with sort of in-laws and and relationships and partners which I think is just so important when you're talking about something like this I feel like with a lot of 
the the issues that kind of came up around the Black Lives Matter movement last year and the massive kind of swing for people looking to read books about the experiences of people of colour was very much a sense of this has to talk about what it's like for everyone this has to talk about struggle and talk about the suffering but actually as well I found it quite important to talk about just people and and relationships as well yeah yeah absolutely um yeah and and ultimately family is a big part of my life and I suppose I did try to to show that I mean it's certainly the case is particularly for those who have migrated from other countries um if they are fortunate enough to go with family members and actually some you know uh, refugees uh, during expulsion weren't able to go with family members but and were split up but for those who were I suppose you know you do see both the bonding for people that wouldn't necessarily have bonded within a family um, before, um, but also the tensions that are even more sort of accentuated, I suppose. And it's really interesting what you say about telling the different stories. And, and I do have a, a key character, December, who is an ethnic Ugandan and, and he goes through his own struggles. You know, I didn't feel it was my story to tell in terms of making him a point of view character. And I hope that there are more stories that are written from that point of view. But I did also want to show the interaction. Two of my key protagonists are Asha, who's recently married to Pran, and then Jaya, who's the matriarch of the family. And... It was really important for me to tell their stories because I think there's not enough stories told about certainly Asian women, but there's also, I think, sometimes a perception of Asian women being timid and meek and mild. And that's not been my experience growing up. I am surrounded by my grandmother is four foot nothing, really. And she, she looks like she would blow over in the wind. But she has seen and done things in her life that I could only ever dream of. And, I, and actually writing this book, I realised how, how much you have to be a trailblazer to either voluntarily or involuntarily leave the home, the only home you know. So I hope that I've been able to cast light on stories that aren't well known more, more widely in literature. Um, and, and change perceptions of people, um, particularly female protagonists, I think, Asian female protagonists. So, yeah, I hope people go away feeling that differently about, about Asian women in particular. I'm not trying to speak for all Asian women, obviously, but yeah, I hope it, it gives a different light to, to what we might have expected and seen before in literature. And I think it really, it does. It's so fantastic. And it's, again, it's another thing that, is one of these issues that, yes, there's not enough books by Black and Asian and people of colour writers. There's also yeah. not enough by women and about women telling stories that aren't necessarily the rom-com style. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so that, that is really important for me personally and as a writer, yeah, for sure. The other thing about, I suppose, immigrant life um, is food and culture, the way that you talk and everything, it absorbs the new country that you're in. And I wanted to show that as well, I suppose. It is that blending of cultures and I, I think it's great actually. Um, and, and in the case of my family, because they're twice migrants, so they went from India to 
East Africa to the UK, I, in my own life, have absorbed not only the East African culture, but obviously the Indian culture, and I love that, as well as obviously British culture, where I was born. One of the things that really stuck out to me was when you talk about the Weetabix and how she <laughs> eats it with butter on it. I don't know if you saw the tweet from the Weetabix brand about eating like baked beans on it that just sort of caused uproar, and that's all I could think about was sitting there eating it with butter on it like it was toast. <laughs> yeah, my aunt does that, and she she. Yeah, she really? did that, so it was inspired by that. But yeah, I don't recommend putting baked beans on it. But but there is also the recipe, which some people find, I spoke to someone else about this, and they, they were just incredulous, but baked bean curry is a thing in our, in our family. I think it's actually an East African thing, um, and maybe just an Indian cultural thing in the UK. But you, you know, you fry some cumin seeds and in oil and then you add the, the baked beans and add some spices. And it's a thing. We have it at home, um, which might put people off. But again, these are things that, you know, we call it, call it Indianifying sometimes as well. So my mum often makes Italian food, but puts like ginger and onions and garlic and stuff in it. You know, it's that same thing of this whole melting pot. I'm sorry to use that sort of food pun, but it is a melting pot. I think it's definitely okay when we're talking about food to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. to, to use that. Um, so my mum's my white and my dad's Malaysian. He's Tamil. So always had quite a varied sense of kind of what is normal to, to eat. I mean, my dad, well, when I was growing up, my dad didn't really cook because he'd never really cooked until he came to Britain. And I remember we'd had my parents' friends for dinner and we'd had curry, but also pasta because there wasn't, I think there wasn't enough rice or something. And I loved it and I will still eat that now because there's just something, I find it great, it's comforting and it's, it's pasta and it's hearty, but it's also curry and spicy sauce, it's great. But um, a lot of my friends, especially at university, thought it was very, very strange. <laughs> I think, I hope that there's a bit more of a relaxation around this whole idea of cuisine sort of mixing and stuff. But yeah, I mean, even with East African food. So, for example, um, and again, there's some references in the book about taking cassava, which is a, which is a East African staple and cooking it in coconut milk, which I think is also an East African thing, but then again, frying it in cumin seeds, adding some chili, maybe some pepper, um, those things which they've become a part of our lives and our culture. And I'm so glad that we are able to bring that with us. That, and food is a way that immigrants will sort of carry those, their heritage with them, even when maybe you lose your language or other things or you can't be with family you know food is such an important part and that's why it's such an important part of the book so have your parents and your family members read the book and I mean what what do they think yes I was lucky that I mean my mum reads loads anyway and I actually get I think I got the reading bug from her my dad tends to read more nonfiction and newspapers and stuff, but he was really lovely. He read the book as well in an early, they both read it in early drafts. I wanted to make sure that I did the East African Asian elements justice and made sure I hadn't got anything wrong. Um, I've spent a lot of family holidays in Kenya in particular where my family are. And 
And so I, I knew a fair bit about it, but, you know, it's not the same as having been brought up in, in places like Kenya and Tanzania. When I first started writing it, they probably just thought it was another one of my projects because I do these things. I have like projects and I start to learn something and then I kind of lose interest. And I think they're probably a bit surprised that I've actually managed to see it through. Um, but they, they really helped me with some of those more detailed references in the book for food, for culture, for language. I don't really speak Swahili, so they were able to help me with those elements as well. But equally, they aren't from Uganda uh, themselves. I spoke to a few family members, but, but I kind of also wanted, to, again, to, to create this panorama of different viewpoints. And so I did sort of supplement that with, with other res historical research. And then I went to Uganda myself to to sort of flesh out some of those things as well. Were you worried before you gave it to them about how they would react and how they would feel about the sort of the stories being told? I mean, I'm lucky that my parents are, you know, they're, they're fairly liberal and I don't know if I was worried as such. I mean, there are certain elements in it. I've since added certain more sort of graphic elements, particularly in terms of sex scenes, which I didn't really like the idea of my dad. I mean, there's nothing really that graphic in it, to be honest, but that that was more of a concern. It's just my idea of my dad reading those things. But not in terms of the the history. I hope I think they understood why it was important for me to tell it. And actually, the most amazing thing about writing the book has been I've learned so much more about their own upbringings. These aren't things that we tended to talk about. I mean, they might come up when you go to Kenya and stuff, but, um, you know, we dug out pictures and I've learned so much more about their their lives than I would have otherwise. And I I'd like to think that they think the same. It's that it's an enable an ability to to bond over these stories and learn more about each other. I suppose so. Yeah, it's been it's been really great. That's amazing. I think it's important to be able to kind of talk to your parents because it's hard, isn't it? You don't particularly. I guess if you're a parent, you wouldn't want to necessarily tell your child all the heartbreaking and horrific things that have happened because you want to protect them. But at the same time, from the from sort of the child's point of view, it's hard to really understand what your parents have been through. Absolutely. And I think also, you don't necessarily know the questions to ask your parents. Like I, I only found out recently, for example, that, you know, their school, they taught, they learned about Jane Austen, they read, you know, Jane Austen, Dickens, Shakespeare. I had no idea. I mean, they speak, they spoke fluent English coming over here. And that's the case for a lot of people, certainly from Kenya and Tanzania, I think. But, um, I didn't know that. I didn't know about my mum's experiences of, of hearing skinheads, you know, calling her back in, whatever, in um, the street in the 70s and 80s. And I asked her what that was like. And I never thought to ask before. And it's terrible. But I think as you get older, you also want to connect more with your own heritage. Um, and my mum being my mum, so I just shrugged it off. And that is my mum all over. But it, I needed to ask those questions, not just for myself, but obviously for the book and to try and to do justice to some of those stories, I suppose. Um, but I think, yeah, but coming away from writing this book, I want to ask them more. I want to learn more. I want to write their experiences, at least for our own family. Um, and I think it's so important to do it, obviously, whilst we have the chance, more so now than ever, I suppose, in the middle of a pandemic when you don't know what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important.
following on from that from what you said about your mother about hearing the phrase of go back to where you came from which I feel like every non-white person has probably heard in some form from some angle before and I mean I guess I probably feel quite similar to you in the sense because you were born in in London um, and I was born in sort of Kent south uh, southeast is when you hear that it's slightly ironic because it's sort of well I am this is where I'm from this is where I come from but having that for someone who has come from somewhere else in really awful circumstances how that must feel and how that must hurt yeah yeah for sure um I think yeah in different ways so for my characters and for I guess for people like my parents who are and, and yours maybe who've, who've ever experienced some of that um when you can't go back to your own country there's that extra layer of even if I wanted to go back to my own country I can't I think for people of our generation who've heard it um that you know I remember very clearly as an eight or nine year old uh, when those things were said to me, thinking, where is my own country? And, and not only is it about, my, you know, I'm, I'm of Indian heritage, so would I go back to India? But, but being confused because I'm thinking, oh, would I go to East Africa? I don't speak Swahili. Thinking about those things as a young child is very strange and surreal. So, yeah, I think it is that. And there's a bit in the book where, where Asha is sort of told something similar and she, she says... I can't go back to my own country to herself she says that um and I suppose again you know the themes that were playing out whilst I wrote the book made all of this more pertinent again I suppose through my 20s and 30s I started to really feel like this is what you know the UK is where I belong and I will and I feel completely at home and then things like Brexit sort of bring that back into sharp sharp relief but I suppose I feel a bit differently about it now as, as I'm older and I don't really care what other people that don't think I belong here think that it's, it's up to me where I feel I belong and sort of taking ownership of that. And that's what I also want to try and portray through some of my characters is you can absorb different places into your heart and, it, and home is where you decide it to be, not where someone else decides it to be. Obviously, yes, if you're sent out of your country by the powers that be, that's a different matter, but... I think it is, you know, ultimately it's up to you to decide what, what, what your heart decides as home. So this is a question we ask everyone and you can interpret it kind of however you want in, in whatever kind of method that you want. So the question essentially is, do you feel represented? And that can be within work and within life, within literature. Yeah, I, I think that it would be it would be crazy for me not to think that I'm a bit more represented than I have been because my book which is about a story that isn't well known is going out into the world and it is great to see a bit more representation both in media in publishing and so on um, but it's very interesting that a lot of the debates that are going on in both publishing and in media marketing which is what I work in um, so TV in particular the same debates are going on both behind the scenes and in front of the camera you know, there's still certain elements of tokenism. I know that, I mean, for me, I want to write about the immigrant experience, but there are other British Asian writers who feel that they're not able to tell whatever story they want and that they are then sort of restricted to this, these sort of strict parameters, I suppose. Um, it's great to see things like Bridgerton, which are obviously, you know, that that's brilliant. However, it's still 
I suppose, a story that is based on Austen where the characters themselves could be white or another race, it would be great to hear our stories and see our stories told more widely. So I think there's work to be done, but we're definitely making improvements. When I think back to even 10 years ago, I think we've definitely made improvements. I was I was going to ask as well, you know, shows like Bridgerton, I think one of the others that's on at the moment, that it's not quite as obvious. The Great yeah. does a similar thing. They have a lot of yeah. characters of colour, but it, it's not really referenced. Yeah. Part of me is really happy when I see that. And it's, I see it and I think, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Because of course, there were black people yeah. in the 1700s, but that's not quite the story that they would have had and there's part of me that gets quite frustrated with that. And I mean, I don't know if there's a, an answer to it. Or... Yeah, I mean, I think I'd, I'd hope that we do see more of that. I was watching Mary Queen of Scots, um, the film, and that is, has a similar thing. It's got the different sorts of um, uh, races in different roles, but they are obviously, it's incidental, their race is incidental in those situations. And I think there is room for some of that. Then to be room for acknowledging that that there were people of different races in in that history again because people just assume that there were no what we now know is true is there were black Tudors for example you know there were uh, people of Indian backgrounds in in this country for, for there have been for centuries as you'd expect you know as the British were in India for, for a long time so I think we do need to address those stories. We need to address the stories where race is incidental and you know you can have a protagonist who happens to be Asian or black. And I think we just need a wider range of stories of all kinds, um, I suppose. And I just hope that we don't get into a situation where people are ticking certain boxes by having people of certain races in stories which aren't actually about that particular person's background or heritage or, or life. So yeah, there's definitely work to be done, I think. To take it back to, to your book and to your work, I mean, we've touched on it already about how one of the major themes is belonging and, and where you belong and, and how you belong in, in a country or in a family. How do you feel about the idea of belonging now in terms of, I guess, things that are happening kind of in the wider world, the wider country? Yeah, I... I definitely feel that like I said I think in my in my earlier years I took to heart a lot of being called a foreigner or you know those the, the bits of racism that you get um sometimes less direct and you know in work environments it can be sometimes a bit less direct but now I've taken ownership of the fact that London is my home you know there are governments that might come along later down the line in my life and try to eject me from the UK, uh, but I'll put up a good fight. Well, I don't mean a literal fight, but I will put up a fight. And like I said, in my head and my heart, London is my home and no one can really take that from me. You can say to me that I don't belong, but it doesn't matter. I've, I've given, you know, lots of things um, in my life to the city and the country that I was born in. It's also very interesting for my parents. So my mum watches cricket, but she's been here for 20 plus years now. Well, actually, yeah, a lot longer than that, actually, 30 or 40 years. She supports England in the cricket, you know? So 
because again she wasn't born in India she didn't go to India until she was in her 40s herself for the first time so even for, for my parents generation they probably feel a lot more British than some might expect and why shouldn't they they've been here and they've built lives here and they've given back to society that said I don't think anyone immigrant or otherwise should feel that they have to give back to society to be able to belong here but yeah I really quite honestly don't care if people don't think I belong belonging is what you make of it essentially ultimately when people read your book and future books because I know you're working on another one but what would you what would you hope that people take away from reading your work yeah, I mean, I hope that ultimately it's a novel and it maybe feels a bit weird to say, I hope people feel entertained by a novel that is about some quite challenging themes, but it is still a novel and there's a family and relationships at the heart of it. So on one level, it should be obviously engaging, um, but I also obviously want to make sure it's informative and that people learn a little bit more about our history, our collective history. For people from similar backgrounds to mine, I hope they'll learn a bit more about that history as well, because like I said, I didn't know that much about my own history before I started researching this. And hopefully also have a better understanding of what it might be like to arrive in this country from another country and to have to start again, essentially. And I hope that's the case with subsequent books as well. I really want to tell more of these types of stories. Nima's debut novel, Kololo Hill, is out now and she's currently working on a second. You can find her on Twitter, Instagram and her website. This Is My Voice is a series produced by me, Ellie Kumar.